Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. Today's friend is one of my favorite Philly fiddlers, Leanna Moskowitz. Leanna started the most recent incarnation of West Philly's bi-monthly jam on the second floor of the Gojo Ethiopian Bar and Restaurant, and she regularly plays Cajun music at Fiume, which, incidentally, is also on the second floor of an Ethiopian establishment in West Philly. And she's one of the founders of the West Philly Square Dance, which is like blowing up right now because it's an awesome party. You should totally come. Leanna wanted to talk about race and old time, specifically addressing why fiddle and banjo music is so commonly considered to be white music when its origins are inseparable from African-American culture and history. And uh, what's really cool is that even though we're both white and neither of us is an ethnomusicologist or historian, we were still able to just kind of answer all of those tough questions and I'm confident that uh, by the end of the interview you'll agree that we finally put this issue to rest and you'll know exactly what to do and uh, how to feel in all seriousness though uh, maybe some of you are tired of hearing white folks talk about race (laughs) but uh, right now unless Clifftop hires some sort of diverse third party accountability group or somehow magically gets way more diverse We're just going to have to keep having these uh, clumsy conversations, like the one you're about to hear. Fortunately, Leanna is super thoughtful and engages with this music with uh, vulnerability and respect. She's a hell of a fiddler, and we play a bunch of tunes I've never heard or played before, and uh, now want to play all the time. All right, that's enough introduction. Here's my jam and interview with Leanna Moskowitz. Enjoy. The Georgia Stomp. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Leanna Moskowitz, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thanks, Cameron. In, in your house. <laughs> Once again, I welcome someone in their own house. Um, tell us about that tune. 
Um, that is a tune um, by Andrew and Jim Baxter. It's um, it's on also the anthology um, American folk music, the Harry Smith um, anthologies. Oh, awesome. Um, Which so that, volume is it oh on? Oh God, I think it's volume two. But is that the? All your listeners are gonna <laughs> write in and <laughs> super nerds, yeah, and like <laughs> coming with pitchforks. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's volume two. Okay. Is that the the communal music one or the social music one? Again, that's fine. <laughs> I don't. I I know about Harry Smith because of you because you're the one who introduced me to like the the frolic because that's like your your jam. That's the one you go to. It's true. Um, so it's like the largest old time festival I can handle. Yeah, <laughs> it's like two hundred people. Yeah. Um. So it's on the anthology. It is. It's definitely on the anthology. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, and Andrew and Jim Baxter. Andrew, so they, they were um, two brothers who are um, black, like, string band, old-time musicians. Um, and I, I wanted to pick that tune um, specifically because um, I'm trying to get a little bit more real about where old-time music comes from yeah. um, and how so much of the music and the culture was um, created by black and white musicians. Yeah. Um, and that there were plenty of black fiddlers who simply weren't recorded. Yeah. Um, so they were recorded. They happened to be recorded, but yeah. many others weren't. Yeah. Um, I also love that tune yeah. so much. <laughs> that, that recording is insane. Yeah. Like his, his rhythmic pocket is so, uh, deep. Yeah. It's so deep. It's so like, he and does those guitar runs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds. Uh, it's done with such conviction that, like, if if I were to see that on a page or something, it'd be like, "This is crazy." But like the way that he plays it is just like, yeah, I've never really. Yeah, it's definitely a much deeper like rhythmic wisdom. Yeah, I think that's a good <laughs> yeah. way of putting it. I think yeah. that's what that's what like draws me yeah. to um, that tune and other tunes like it. Just like yeah. the. Um, that it's not you can't easily understand what's happening at the first listen or break definitely. it down easily at the first listen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely definitely something kind of kind of magical going on that's like goes pretty deep. Uh yeah, I often wonder about that because I know that like a lot of fiddle tunes that we know are were collected from in person, not recorded from black fiddlers. Mm-hmm. And then I want I always wonder like but we like the sources are often white who learned it from like a black fiddler or something right, like exactly. that. And I often wonder like, what was that? What was their source? Like, were they, how closely were they trying to, <laughs> to emulate what was going on? Or were they just kind of doing their best? Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Or, you know, or were, or were, was it, was it just really similar? You know, were yeah. they like any like person learning after a teacher, like yeah. mimicking, you know, mimicking or, yeah. Um, but it's a good question. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it feels like a shame that more of those fillers weren't recorded. Yeah, definitely. Harry Bullock um, did like a have the you Mississippi yeah, yeah. fiddle tunes. Yeah. I have the book, but I've never. Oh, read sick! <laughs> Great. Yeah, it's um, he. He was saying that in those um, WPA. I think in the transcriptions, like it would have this like really specific mark. He would be a C with like a circle around it. And I was, he was telling me about it. I was like, what does that mean? He's like, Oh, C for colored. And you know, like, it's like very specifically noted. This is a tune by a black fiddler. Like, like, 
is kind of the exception, you know? Wow. Yeah. 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 And it's just crazy thinking about, um, like the crystallized version of the music that we have now, which is like, you know, whatever like record executives thought it would be marketable to record or whatever, um, you know, folk music scholars and ethnographers wanted to record for their own purposes. And a lot of times those purposes were to separate white and black culture when in fact they weren't always as separate, even in like a segregated Jim Crow South. Yeah. I often, I often wonder about that, you know, cause like, um, where where the line is even even with like minstrel music yeah like i've heard a lot of kind of conflicting narratives of like this is something that you know was only offensive and was just like something that like white people just sort of stole and made a mockery from and then i feel like that's not like the whole story it's like generally like i feel like generally white folks don't steal things unless they want it Right. Unless they like it. Right. They don't just, it's right. not like they're just trying to be mean or like demeaning. It's probably just because it was like really cool music. Right. Or I mean, there's some way to make a profit out of it. Or yeah. Or yeah. Right. That's a good point too. <laughs> I mean, I think it's both. There's, I mean, there's, I think minstrel music is like, is a little bit of a conundrum. Yeah. Um, and it was definitely used to perpetuate racism and separate working class white people yeah. from working class or, you know, black people. Um, or, you know, have working class white people in the North turn them against um, yeah. abolition or, you know, you know, but it was, there was also a certain amount of like real music making and enjoyment of the music making too. Yeah. And a lot of the songs I love are either minstrel songs or um, are related in some way to the body of minstrel music. Um, like that. So, I mean, the Georgie Yellowhammers, I'm not going to play one of their tunes today, but they're one of my favorites. Um, They recorded Jim Baxter. Mm -hmm. Um, They weren't allowed to list him as um, on the recording um, because interracial recording sessions weren't allowed. Yeah. Um, But, but, you know, they, they, as musicians, they were playing together, but the Georgie Yellowhammers also had a lot of songs with, like, real minstrel content in the lyrics. Right. Um, so I think it's all a conundrum. I think it's not. Yeah. There's nothing simple about it. Um, yeah. Um, but there's a great book, Love and Theft, um, which Bob Dylan took the name for his album from. Interesting. Um, which is sort of like a critical analysis <clears throat> of minstrelsy and, and, like, the political role it played and, yeah. and the sort of layers of complication of it. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting, like, point. The, the idea of wanting to, to separate specifically not even like necessarily like um demean or subjugate like like the music like or the different cultures but to just be like no we don't let them touch um when Mm -hmm. actually like to sort of hide that there's actually like this kind of rich cultural exchange even if it's in, in a really messy way but like people are getting together and like I don't, I don't mean this to sound cheesy or anything, but like, yeah. you know, like the power of music, you know, it's like bringing people right. together to like share with each other. Right. And then like kind of right, and that when, people, when they probably, <laughs> when they probably shouldn't at least one way, you know, in like the context of the culture, right. you know? Right. And I mean, I think it's yeah. important to, to think about like both musical exchange that was happening, but then also, um, like white supremacy and like, you know, so, sort of the like musical dominance of yeah. white culture and pulling in some of those 
black influences and elements and sort of absorbing them into what we now understand as white culture. Yeah. Um, maybe not in the scholarly old time community right. <laughs> of people who all know more about this than I do, uh-huh. but in the general sense, like when people see me out with a fiddle yeah. somewhere, they assume I'm playing white music. White music. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what starts out as exchange in within white supremacy becomes yeah. stolen. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, it wasn't, it's not funny, but like it, it's still like yeah, happening today. It didn't wasn't Beyonce oh, yeah. wasn't Beyonce on like the country music awards. This it was year. amazing. It was like my favorite thing that ever happened. I didn't I didn't see what did she do? Did she sing like she did one song? of the songs from her uh, from Lemonade, which is called Daddy's. It's called like Daddy's Gun. So, okay. something uh, something like that. But it's it's one of the songs. Um, from her album and it tends a little bit like country it has this kind of like i don't know how to describe it exactly but it definitely tends country yeah and she played that song with the dixie chicks okay i think at the cmas (laughs) that's awesome it was (laughs) amazing it was so incredible i loved it um because to me it was really frank about where this music comes from like this is in no way some like crazy new thing this is like very much what country music came out of was kind of like this interplay between different like musical um like inventiveness and innovation and um traditions um but of course all these people were like oh like that's you know this is the end of country music like pushing back against country music Uh, you know i mean the same people you would expect um you know and i personally believe that beyonce playing that song in that context is way more country than like yeah like Rascal Flats or something. Sure. <laughs> um, sure. So it's it's just interesting how these you know that country music, and I'm someone who loves country music deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has a very white face on it, and that's not its history. Yeah. So anyway, just a little yeah, light Sunday night a, talk. Yeah, there's a lot to Monday night. It's yeah. Monday night. Which day is it again? Uh, let's play another tune. I want to ask you more questions about this. But what's what's next on the list? Do we uh, let's do that Beaumont Rag? Okay, great. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is by Oscar and Doc Harper, their version of Beaumont Rag. Um, and they, I was doing a little research on them, and as far as I know, um, they were white, I think, but they lived in a black section of town in East Texas. I don't know if it was Dallas or another town. Should have gotten my facts straight. I don't have a good head for facts. Um, but I think this is another one where um, you really see the influence of like more, more of a blues and, you know, different styles. And um, yeah, Beaumont Rag.
so quaint. <laughs> <laughs> that form's really interesting too. It goes like one longer than you think it. Then I thought. I mean, you're probably so steeped in these in these wacky tunes. Yeah, I think now, of that but, one as yeah. straight. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> it's probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just don't count anymore. <laughs> uh, so I was thinking a lot of times questions that white people are asking is, uh, what do I, what do I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like how, and which I, which I feel like one, I totally relate to and I understand Yeah, it's kind of like not the right question, but still it is a question. Uh, I was just reading this article today that was like talking about like, um, uh, white, majority white and white led anti-racist I read groups. That. You read that too? too? Yeah. I, I had like, an intense time with it. I was like, oh man, it's just like, there's no, there's no way out. And I feel like that's kind of the point, but I guess yeah. like from your personal like perspective, like in engaging with this music, like what, what is that like <laughs> for you? Um, just to clarify, uh, I don't know if you did already, but you are white. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you for clarifying. Yeah. That. I'm white for the people who haven't met me in person, probably mentioned it, but, um, or people probably just assume, uh, but yeah. How do you engage with this music? How does it make you feel? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like, um, I mean, love and theft a little bit says it all, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I guess I feel like, I wouldn't I wouldn't play this music and spend so much damn time on it if I didn't love it. Yeah. Um but I you know I, I mean it comes out of like American history and American history is Yeah. really complicated. Um I think I think like step 1 is for me at least is just like ongoing questioning. Mhm. Um like not sort of like taking what's given to you and, and accepting it, but um, yeah. But you know, like leaving open the question, like should I be doing this? Yeah, you know what I mean. Having that be an active question. Yeah. Um. Will I will I stop playing music because I don't think it's like correct or moral to do so? Yeah. Likely not, but I think it's I think it's kind of an important question to leave open and then try to answer. Yeah. I'm not for the sake of justifying it, but for the sake of saying, well, like, what do I know about this? Yeah. What should I know about this? Yeah. What don't I know about this? And I mean, I think for me, the most important thing about it is also being really honest about where it's from. Um, like being honest about, you know, some of the tunes that people um, play or, you know, think of as being like, you know, really super like old and like they're not like having no point to date them from are yes. like minstrel songs. Um, you know, to say that you love them for their musicality doesn't divorce them from the context for yeah. people. Um, and I think it, and, and for, in a performance context, I think about what it means to be, um, profiting. Well, profiting. <laughs> sure. I was just thinking about performing, yeah. um, like music that like is coded white so strongly. Yeah. Um, profiting is a better point. Right. Too, or just another really good point. Um, the the thing that like I is kind of confusing to me is that like this music has. I'm going to say something that like maybe is like controversial. I'm I'm putting it out there as like it. an act of vulnerability, and go for it. People feel free to like make me feel bad about this. Here here's here's an impression that I have. 
and maybe it's incorrect. I feel like when I go to the festivals and when I like play this music with people, it's 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 it is white dominated. Um, I and it's sort of the exception that an African American person is there uh, taking ownership of the tradition and like sort of reclaiming it. Yeah. And I have this sort of it's sort of a conundrum of like why is uh-huh. that the case? Uh-huh. And to what extent it have was it just so stolen and, and mm-hmm. coated white that like now it is white? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or to what extent has the like I, I feel like probably a lot of African Americans would just be like, No, I've on a personal level, I've probably just sort of moved on and like this is no longer relevant to my experience because of that. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's like when I listen to you play these tunes, it's like, I, cer- I certainly, I mean, I'm glad that you're doing it as complicated as it is that you're like, you know, maybe it would be better if like an African American person was like, or more people were trying to like reclaim this tradition, but I also don't want the music to die. Right. You know? Right. Right. I mean, I would say first off that. There are, you know, there are groups like the Carolina Chocolate yes. Drops that are that are owning that. Um, yeah, and like I think doing really, like really brave, yeah. interesting work and doing and like reclaiming some of that music. Um, but to your point, I think I actually just read some. Um, I, sh- I should have written all these things down so I could. Re- I have a terrible brain for facts. I, I came across two sort of theories about why this is, which was just someone's like personal opinion. And one being because of the waves of sort of um, domination and commodification of African-American music. Um, and these are total generalizations. This was just yeah. someone's like personal opinion. Um, there's a culture, like a tendency in black music to keep innovating and keep creating more and more right. things ahead of this kind of wave of um, commodification or co-optation really is better. Yes. Um, and then the second one being that, you know, it's, it's, it's a really traumatic history. Right. Um, like so much of this music is deeply implicated in um, Jim Crow has that minstrel history. And even if it doesn't have that direct minstrel link is pretty nostalgic about the South. A lot of this music is really nostalgic about the South for various reasons, whether it be because the music was sort of produced for people leaving out of the rural South to the bigger cities or, you know, because of minstrelsy is a big theme in minstrelsy. So um, I think, you know, that's not something necessarily people want to connect to or um, glorify or fetishize the way that it's easier for, I think, white folks to do. Yeah, I I feel like it's getting to the point now where, like, people are just sort of saying every time someone says in the good old days or back in the day or something like that, it just gets shut down Mm -hmm. (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's like, can we just stop what talking? What good old days? Yeah, yeah. What Who's good, good old, old days? days? What good old old time? Right. Like, why are you talking about old old times? Right. You right. Know? And it's like it's it really complicated because, like, um, I guess it's easy it's easy for for me to say, "Don't throw the baby out with bathwater." You know, right. like um, there were there were so many special things happening back right. then, like close knit communities, right. no like less surveillance police stage, sure. you know, like, um, in general, less materialism <laughs> and like, um, yeah. uh, just like all of these things that more uh, traditional skills, more traditional skills, more people who knew how to play music, right? <laughs> you know, like there are all of these, like, uh, 
um, things that just happen to be good. Right. Right. And (laughs) I mean, I participate in that so much, you know what I mean? I, I, you know, but I think it's like, I think it's like, if we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, we need to be like very, very like carefully extracting yeah. The baby out of the bathwater. <laughs> let's, let's really work this metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I think it kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but totally. Yeah. It needs to be done. Yeah. Just super gentle. Yeah. And yeah. like, um, and that like, I'm trying to think of another metaphor because the baby in the bathwater <laughs> thing isn't working. Like, it's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like a, like a spider web. It's kind of like pulling out of a, something out of a spider web or yeah. something. Like parts of it still might be stuck to you. Yeah. Let's not go too deep down metaphor land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is good. Thanks for being willing to go here. It's it's funny. Usually when this kind of thing gets brought up on, uh, or on or off mic, you know, but especially on mic because it's like, it's hard to do it. All of a sudden, the conversation, I can tell when I'm editing it, there's all these pauses uh-huh. and like kind of self-editing proactively in advance and um, stuff. It's all, yeah, a lot of ums. It's like, wow, this is very like sensitive. You uh-huh. know, it's like the, the, the banter changes a lot, uh, uh-huh. but I think it's good. I don't know. Um, not that we're solving anything, but it's like, it doesn't always have to be just, um, you know, comfortable. Right. And I think that's kind of what I mean by leaving that question open yeah. is that like, it's like, it's not that we, and I think in, in many things in yeah. our culture right now is it's like, it's more important to stay uncomfortable Yeah. and um, really dig into that Yeah. instead of choosing to be comfortable. Yeah. But then it also gets into like some sort of weird, like, uh, kind of like religious penance kind of thing. Like, you know, like, just like, okay, you know, it's been a while since I've... <laughs> I'm not calling you out on this, but like this happens when you talk about, uh, uh, races old time music. It's like Carolina chocolate drops get brought up every time. I wonder how they feel about being sort of like token black folks in in old time music, you know? And like, um, but that raises a question of like, like, is it token if like you're the only really ones, like at least on, in like the, on the big festival banner? Yeah. I mean, I hear that. And I think it's like, they're the ones doing the work. So, yeah, totally. I mean, I, th- I think they, it seems to me from like what I've read about them is that yeah. like that they recognize, um, that that's part of what they're doing yeah. in that way. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I wish that they weren't the only, exa- only example of that, right, right. but I also, I don't think numbers even like, do I think it's sad that like, um, black musicians have been erased from the history of this music? Yeah. Yes. Do I think like, like many other things about um, the history of black people in this country is like even sadder and more upsetting. Yeah. Yes. So I guess I feel like this is like our one little corner of the world. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm not sure I'm saying something that clear, but I guess I just feel for me personally, my concern is less about something about access or like who has access to the music and more about, um, what is um, kind of like the symbology or like or like the connotations of playing the music for myself, for the people around me, for the communities I'm a part of and yeah. live in and all that stuff, um, which is just me. There might be other people out there who care more about like 
the face of, you know, like the people who are playing old time music yeah. right now, which is yeah. a whole other thing that's related. But yeah, I feel like um, here's me going out on them. I feel like old time music has um, been important for me in my sort of like redemption in f- from harmful white American culture huh. kind of things like uh-huh. um, uh, it's it's like right. uh, you know got me to like have real relationships with people yeah. and like engage with a an actual culture that's not right. oriented around a screen right and um, uh, have conversations and spend lots of time outside <laughs> and, like I feel like uh, yeah like as messy as you know it, it is like I feel like yeah, I feel like I'm like it's netting, maybe netting good, like the the net sort of good, like the things that need to happen in order for old time music to sort of spread and for people to engage with it are also the same things that need to happen in order to deconstruct capitalism. I mean, <laughs> that's know? a and good like, point. It, yeah. It's not it's not separate. Right. <laughs> Again, I guess it's like we the reason we're, you know, sitting here talking about this stuff is because we love like this music. We love like yeah. But we don't, we love music that was like made by people, you know what I mean? Yeah. And shared by people. And yeah. those are beautiful things. Not by it's, algorithms. <laughs> right. Not by algorithms or like total, not entirely by record companies, yeah. although kind of, but, um, I heard that Whip and Nene was made. This is something I heard real, like secondhand, but like that I heard that Madonna or like was somehow involved with like producing Whip and Nene. I don't even know was, what that is. Uh, watch me whip. Watch me, Nene. You know this one. It's a. It's uh It's like a dance instruct. Not instructional, but it's like one of the. It's like now Charlie Brown. Oh, to the right I gotcha. this time. It's gotcha. that song. Okay. But like for like th- this generation okay. of youth, it's that song. Gotcha. And and uh, I heard that it was like sort of constructed through some sort of algorithm or through just like analyzing data of That's just like crazy these beats with this. And like even like the way that the music was made, it was just that's crazy. Yeah, so old times not that. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I think it's like we love these things about it, and it's like I, I guess I think about it less as like pe- like penance and like thinking about this stuff or talking about this stuff, and more as just like a burden. Sure, um, that's a. Do you know what I mean? Like at, instead yeah. of being like we're somehow going to make this up yeah. in some way by doing this or by. Sure. Um, mentioning these people or you know or like by saying oh well we know about the carolina chocolate drops it's instead it's saying well what are um they doing and what and how can we shoulder that burden as well um or like realize that we are shouldering that burden whether we choose to realize it or not that's a healthy way to look at it yeah it's so it's so tempting to like uh in privilege to be um to be released Right to want to fix it. To want to be to want to be in the right and to be yeah. like justified, and uh, and like, what do I need to do right. to not have to think? Right. I mean, sometimes it's like, what do I need to do to not have to think about black people? Because when I do, I feel bad. Right. Is <laughs> probably like what's actually going on. <laughs> right. Well, in some way, right. That's yeah. like, how do I remain? How do I stay comfortable? Is yeah. by closing myself off. Yeah. Right, and I think that's something we all participate in. 
We should play another tune. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> this is good. Then I want to ask you some Leanna questions. Cool. Yeah. Um, let's play that uh, curly-headed woman. Yeah. Um, and this this is um, uh, Burnett and Rutherford. And now Rutherford, um, a white fiddler in Kentucky, learned from a ba- black fiddler in Kentucky uh, named Kuj, Kujay. Someone will know how to say this better than me. I've only seen it written. C-U-J-E, Bertram. Um who was, um, I think, only recorded much later in life. Yeah. Um, and here's Curly Headed Woman. another song about it's all it's all her fault <laughs> sure it's yeah and it's obviously some early version of a you know hesitation blues yeah there's so many of those yeah oh man uh just nerd out banjo a little bit like i'm not gonna be able to help you with yeah that. so like 
you're like note the uh, two finger <laughs> like special two finger thing in the, in this recording I listened to it and I was like wow that's so interesting so like I'm tuned down to F but I I use I'm using the same shapes that like you would if you were in a standard G tuning so I think what happened in this is like because I play that more or less exactly how uh-huh. in the recording uh-huh. um, I think they were like okay I'm gonna play an F so uh-huh. I need the drone string uh-huh. to be in. To work because right. it can't be a G, right? So they decided to tune it up to an A instead, instead of an F, instead of an F. But because of that, um, when you play a four chord, which is a B flat in F, I'm, I'm not explaining this to you. I'm explaining this to my no, listener. No, I'm also yeah. very curious. <laughs> okay, but because of that, uh, you you end up with a B flat major seven chord, which is the oh. which is the least bluesy thing I've ever heard. Play it again. Um, so it's like. Which is like this, like super, like it sounds like a like a hipster folk, like yeah. you know, just like not usually it would because be because of the A and the B flat. Usually, you would think that it would right. be that in like a blues vernacular, right. right? But it's just really strange, like yeah, it's a little sweeter. It's super sweet. Well, the recording itself is not even really that bluesy. No, and it's and it's like tone or yeah, you know, the way it yeah. So I, maybe that's part of why. Yeah, I was just like I thought that was such a like a peculiar. Like that is really cool. A peculiar harmony that just was sort of out of necessity. But then they're like, oh, I guess I'm... Embrace it. I guess this is happening now. Like this totally... I never hear anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a little... Um, I like it because like it's a little bit eerie or something. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> that was really cool. fun. Really fun to learn. And uh, outside my comfort zone to like do any sort of upticking <laughs> at all, yeah. My, my actual secret mission yeah. in doing this was to get you to pick the banjo. Yeah, that's, uh, one of these days I'm going to get into that. Seth, do you know Sweat, Seth Swingle at all? Uh-uh. He, um, he does a lot of, like, uh, I, I've been sitting on his episode. I recorded it at Clifftop last year, but ostensibly at some point he's going to release, he's going to start, like, a website that's all, like, old banjo recordings three finger and two finger stuff that like people don't really play anymore because that's out like traditional solo banjo music like actual banjo vocabulary that has sort of been lost out of just sort of necessity of playing with other people (laughs) and uh but yeah he's gonna like he just like collects all of his old recordings and is like trying to hold on to those like old banjo styles that's so great yeah i've heard like it's like sort of anecdotal stories about like how like there was like competition like, you know, claw hammer or like you know like bluegrass three finger styles and that the other ones kind of died out, be like sort of because of the kinds of things that were yeah. I can't remember. I I don't have any details in my brain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think just like playing, you know, playing with fiddlers and then like probably the rise of like festival yeah festival scenes and like larger jams as opposed to like isolated people making their own banjo vernacular, you know. Right. And playing it as a solo instrument. Right. Like, I don't hear a lot of, like, banjo as a solo instrument right. anymore. But there's this whole, like, history of, like, solo banjo music. Oh, man, music I would love like to check really, that out It's really, really hard, it. and people don't play it. Yeah, that's so interesting. Because it's very performative. When you when you um, did the, the recording with him, did you play double banjos? Oh, hell no. 
<laughs> I just, I just, it was actually really nice to me for me because I was like, my brain was fried. We did it at the end of the week. Oh, God. And I had been, I didn't have any time to prepare for any of the episodes. So it was just like me, like doing these cram <laughs> sessions with these people that were uh-huh. generous enough to teach me these like bonkers tunes uh-huh. at the very last minute. So for him, I just like sat back and I just like got to ask him questions and like just Amazing. listen. And then we played like for a bonus track, we played one tune together, but. Maybe by the time I, this is released, we'll have Seth's episode. Up. It's really, really good, though. <laughs> I'd love to check that out. Yeah. Another person to check out is Greg Adams. It's cool. Um, who, speaking of the controversy, what we're talking about, he at Midwest Banjo Camp is teaching minstrel banjo. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. So I would want to get him on the show and ask him how he feels about all... He is white. Right. And I want to ask him about what he, how he feels about all this stuff. Um, it's a good question. Yeah, because I I want to know. But it's like at the same time, yeah. I am also curious about that. But it's also like everyone else is basically doing the same thing. They're just not yes. calling it that, you know? Yeah. So it's like it's more like what does it mean to name it yeah. that publicly? Yeah. You know, to you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm not 100% yeah. that I stand by what I just said, but... Well, yeah. I mean, I guess because, like, specifically, he's playing a minstrel-style banjo tuned right. a fourth or fifth low or however like, low Like, it is. actually that specific he's, style. Yeah, playing it, like, constructed the same way. He's doing that, like... I guess there's a very specific, like, it's related to claw hammer, but then it has m- mixed two and three finger in it, and you sort of do a claw hammer stroke, but then break it. And it's all fretless, uh-huh. but then you go like all the way up the neck and do all this fretless stuff. Whoa. It's like a super cool style. Whoa. It's just very, very like socially complicated. And I think that's probably why a lot of people don't do it. But right. he's like teaching a class in it now. Whoa. <laughs> like yeah, that would camp. be a whole set of questions. Yeah, I, I got to pick that dude's brain. <laughs> but Whoa. he's down in D.C. And I think he... Sorry if I'm getting this wrong. I think he works for the Smithsonian or something. Like he's like a... Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I want to like... So, I know you from... Gojo. Steven Landis. Oh, yeah. Also Steven Landis. From Steven Landis, because he said, my friend Leanna is start is starting... Was it restarting the Gojo Jam? Did it used to be The Gojo, Gojo Jam had like multiple lives. This has been the longest it's yeah. been consistently going. Yeah. Um, like me and some friends had used to do a show there okay. every other week. Which is kind of how it started as a thing. Yeah. And then we stopped doing the show, but um, then it turned into a, a friend turned it into a jam, but then it kind of fell off and then we just started yeah. it again. And it's been going now, that was like like four years ago or something? Was it four years? I don't know. Maybe three or four. Three or four. Yeah. That makes sense. Basically, that was like... Yeah. I, yeah. The I started going to that and then that was like sort of my main... That has been like the main jam that I've like gone yeah. to. I every once in a while still go to the Mermaid Inn. Yeah. But it's like kind of in the other direction. Yeah. And it's hard to get there. But yeah. um Yeah. And so you are like for me, kind of like a, a big source of like old time music and like I don't know if you know that. No, I don't. <laughs> you know, but like I feel you're like, like I know like twenty tunes. <laughs> well, you I mean you've taught me like some of my favorite very favorite tunes. Like uh Waiting for the Federals or Seneca Square Dance. Oh, yeah, um, Seneca Square I learned Dance. that from you. Really? I probably talked about that on the show that, like, I learned this from my favorite fiddlers. Oh. Yeah, in Philly. Oh. Learned that from Cameron. you. Yeah. <laughs> you should feel sweet things about it because that's how I feel about it. <laughs> oh, I feel it. Yeah. sweet things. Yeah, good. Uh, and Avalon Quickstep. 
Oh yeah, that's a great I learned tune. that from you. That's one of my very, very favorite tunes. And uh, learned a bunch of others from you. I learned you were the first person I ever heard heard play uh, Floppy Eared Mule. <laughs> and like I was just that was like my first key change like old time <laughs> tune that I ever learned. And I was like, whoa, slow that down. And you like slowed it down for me, explained it. You know, I was like, what tuning should I be in? <laughs> like I don't want to know. You know, so I, like, what do I do? Yeah, what do I do? Uh, so. I guess, I don't know, thank you like for like, <laughs> oh. bringing that jam back and uh, s- sort of, there's a really particular culture of that Gojo jam and of like old time music and acoustic music in West Philly. And I feel like you're sort of like very in the center of that, although lately <laughs> you've been sort of just like kind of backed off from it. I mean, other than the square dance, you know. Right, um, right. But like... Your impact has been very like substantial and oh, lasting. Yeah, and thanks. I, I don't know. I feel very impacted by you. Like I've learned a lot just through osmosis. You know. Yeah, I mean, I do think we have a really nice thing at that jam, and it's thanks. I think it's also to thanks, thanks to like you and other people who really are like you know the bedrock of it too, and like you know give it the structure. And um, and I have fallen off a little bit because of job. And sleep. I fell off because of baby. Because of baby. So <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to get it together to come more regularly. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm appreciative of everybody who's holding it down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you How did you get into playing all-time music? That's a great question. Started out with bluegrass. Am I allowed to say that on here? Yeah. Are you going to edit this out? <laughs> no. Are you going to be like, bleep? I'll just have a trigger warning. <laughs> when I say bluegrass. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning, yeah. <laughs> I'll say the B word. <laughs> the B word. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, sometime in the time I lived in Philadelphia, I guess um, a, like a good friend of mine, Nikolai Fox, um, I've still never met Nikolai. You've never met Nikolai. I know he's like, at one point I was on a bill with him. Uh-huh. And then like, oh, it was a bill oh, with him. Oh, the show fell through. Yeah. I remember that whole thing. Yeah, the show fell through. <laughs> so I still haven't met him or heard him play ever. Yeah, great but. musician, great fiddler. Um, he lives up in Maine now. I probably, I play all time music because of him. Okay, awesome. Um, I used to play bluegrass mandolin. Um, and then at some point I was like, you know what? I could probably play fiddle. Um, cause I had used to play like Suzuki violin. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of went deep into a fiddle hole. Yeah. And you know, it was really great. Sort of like never like sitting down with a lesson, but really learning from Nikolai and, um, you yeah. know, other friends, but, um, really like sort of like internalizing some of that like bow rhythm and realizing I could like only play old time. Um, not only, but like, you know, like I wasn't going to pick up a fiddle and then like only wind up playing like bluegrass fiddle. Like it wasn't yeah. going to happen. Um, but yeah, it seems like, like old time fiddle is sort of like a, and old time, old time music in general is sort of like a, people usually hear about bluegrass first. Yeah. And then old time is like a weird marriage of like necessity. Right. <laughs> you know, right. because it's like accessible. Right. But also like it does feel a lot more mysterious and a lot more alluring because um, I guess because the, the form, because you're, it's not an improvisatory form can get really, really weird and trancy and strange. Right. And right, uh, right, right. But I mean, it's also true that like, 
what's the word? And like revival festival land, they're like like totally separated. Yes. But like like it's it is like more of us like there's plenty of stuff in between there. Sure. Um yeah, people At get all salty about it, but but it's like <laughs> yeah. there's plenty of points of like overlap. Yeah, um, which I love. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I don't love aspects of bluegrass. Yeah, are you gonna edit that out? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the first episodes that I released was just like pretty much just straight up bluegrass. <laughs> yeah, so it's fine. Yeah, but um, people will have feelings about it if they want. But it's my goddamn <laughs> show. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm cool with it. <laughs> but um, I mean, I remember. I, I you know the most important thing in in old time fiddling is rhythm, and that's not something that's like confined to other yeah um, music. It's just something that people often miss. Yeah. Um, I remember that's like definitely the most important thing I learned from Nick, which was just um, you know, it's all about that bow and that that like rock solid rhythm. Um. Thanks, Nikolai. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of these days I'm going to get to play with him and see what he looks like. <laughs> yeah. Maybe on a bill with him. Maybe just in person. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, what do you, yeah, what do you want to play next? I, don't... Um, I had, I had it. Oh yeah, let's do that. That's it. That's it. And this is a Mississippi Sheik's tune. That's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? That's it or Mississippi Sheiks? Both. <laughs> that's it is like a is like a super cool guy title too. It's like that's, that's it. That's <laughs> it. I'm, I'm really curious about this too, and I feel like I'm not sure if this is like if there's other versions of this tune or if it's like some uh, like if it's some like pop thing that got passed around. Like I'm really curious about it, but this is the only version yeah. I know for now. That's what I'm playing. Okay, I knew there was something. Because your drone string is still. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet major seven chords. <laughs> well, we start with the the thing. We start with the turn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Exactly. Cool, cool. And end, I think, with it. Great. Okay. Yeah. Um. One, two.
it. We made it to the other side. Oh, man. Intact. What a cool tune. Yeah. That was really fun to learn. Yeah. Um, Mississippi Sheiks. Yeah, Mississippi Sheiks. Just to clarify, that's S-H-E-I-K-S, not chic as in fancy. Right. Yeah. Yep, the first wave, although I don't know how to spell chic in that way. Uh, me neither. E-I? I-E? Who knows? C- C-H-I... Right, really <laughs> <chic>. <laughs> yeah. Definitely um, S-H-I-E? E-I? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know if it's E or before I or I. Before, yeah, I don't know. Isn't that king, like Arabic king or something? Yeah. Sheik? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm assuming these aren't Arabs no. <laughs> in this band. No. <laughs> no, I don't actually know where that name comes from, but they were um, an, um, an all-black string band out of, you know, early blues. Yeah. The... Raggy. Yeah. Do you know where? I think New New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, the name is Mississippi Sheiks. Right. Perhaps they originated there. Yeah, maybe. I think they were in New Orleans at some point. Okay. Better research (laughs) next time. Yeah, that's fine. Everyone look... Yeah, are there any other tunes? Look it up, people. Any other tunes you play by them? Or is that, Um, like, the main one? There's a couple others. Um... I haven't actually learned a ton by them, um, but I mean a bunch of really great tunes. Who do you play these tunes with? That's the whole problem. I mean, because the because with some of these, it's like, yeah. um, you know, it's like it's it's not just the fiddle. It's like the fiddle really interplay with like all the other parts, like the guitar, yeah. and like really amazing singing. Um, because you're a very like hospitable jam leader <laughs> when you're at the Gojo, and like that's sort of like. <laughs> I, I can tell that's often your goal is like you're trying to, you know, get move the community <laughs> together and move it along and make sure everyone's included. But then you also have like your like, this is, this tunes for me. Yeah. And yeah. you sent me a whole list of them today, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, so do you like, uh, I guess to what extent is like your fiddling a thing that you kind of like do for yourself? It's you a know? good question. It's a pretty deep question. Yeah. I mean, I would say, like, the weirder ones, probably, like, you know, like, a couple times I sat down with, like, Chenda mm-hmm. um, or Ian um, and, like, gone through, you know, the chords mm-hmm. um, and you kind of, like, get it together. But it doesn't happen enough, I guess, you know. I often don't, I don't learn tunes on my own. <laughs> you're like, let's talk about race and all time. And I'm like, sure, blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. And you're like, do you play fiddle for yourself? And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Because I I feel like people come to the music for a lot of different reasons. Um, A lot of people are just like very gregarious partiers. I feel like that's where I come from. (laughs) Gregarious partiers. Yeah, like I just like, I I don't learn very many tunes on my own. I I generally like go to a jam and then occasionally a tune will sort of seep in through osmosis and I'll Uh find myself humming it and then I'll know it. Uh But usually... Because you have an insane ear. Well... (laughs) Um, I usually learn tunes through like that, but I can't start that many tunes. Uh, but just, they'll just sort of kind of build up and then uh-huh. others will slough off, slough off, uh-huh. or like molt off, <laughs> right. you know, but right. like, um, but then, yeah, there's this like, that's not necessarily like, uh, you know, traditional necessarily right. like, like this sort of festival scene of like hyper focused, like, right. um, I was talking to like Nikos Pappas. Um, he's this like Kentucky 
fiddler, like Kentucky master fiddler. Uh-huh. And he's saying that like the Kentucky tradition, I'm probably misquoting him like all the time. He's probably annoyed if he listens to this. <laughs> like this one thing I said one time on your show and then I just repeat it to everyone. He, But it's been very impactful to me. He said that like Kentucky fiddlers would get together and take turns playing for each other solo. Huh. You know, and I feel like I see that like spirit in a lot of different uh, fiddlers who have kind of like hermit-like tendencies. Yeah. Like who will like make little appearances yeah. and then sort of peace out. Like Stephen Landis is totally like uh-huh. Like he, <laughs> yeah. you know, he has like these vast like stories of like musical wisdom, and he, but he kind of just like plays for himself. And like, yeah, I'm always interested like why, yeah, because not everyone's in it just to go to Clifftop. You, like you said, yeah, the biggest festival that you'd want to go to yeah. is... Harry, Harry Smith. Smith. And even then, yeah. it probably gets overwhelming. Yeah. I think that's what you said last time. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes me a little scared to think about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That kind of makes sense. It's interesting because it's like, there, I feel like there's two modes. There's like learning mode and absorbing mode, which yeah. like you do with other people. And I do probably mostly just from old recordings. Yeah. Um, and then there's getting to like play it and even, you know, perform it, even if not like capital P perform, but just, yes. you know, make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm lucky to have some like good friends like Chen to do that with. Yeah. Um, and really orchestrate things with. Um, but it's, it's rare to find the right setting. Because um, the big jam, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So where do you find these recordings, I guess, is the question. Do you have, like, a list in your head of, like, these are people I've been meaning to check out? And, like, how often do you, like, go to that well to listen to old recordings? And, like, why do you do it? Right. I, I think it's, like, it's like kind of, like, it feels like gold mining. It's, like, you know, I, I have, like, a bunch of recordings that a friend gave me. Um, and just, like, different compilations that I've gotten. Like, a lot of those compilations yeah. are so great. Um, and I think it's like, it's kind of like you just keep looking for that like gem, you know? Yeah. Um, like I'll only really learn a tune if it like catches me. I think like, like most people, um, and Chen and I will share tunes too that like she's, there's ones that she's learning that she'll share with me. And usually I learn those too. Um, I love about this, this tradition that there's sort of this like, very kind of compulsive, like kind of like under God, it's so compulsive. Un- underpin, like underneath it, like for song for songwriting, I always felt like this sort of feeling of like I feel like songwriters because that was like my main musical outlet yeah. for a long time was just doing songwriting, and that's I started playing banjo because I because like Sufjan and like other like banjo songwriters. I don't uh-huh. really do that anymore or consider myself a songwriter, uh-huh. although I still sometimes do. But I always had this feeling of like. I don't feel compelled to write songs very often. Uh-huh. And like, do people like, why do, and, and then there's all these questions of like, who am I doing this for? Right. Or why am I doing, right. like, why am I writing songs? Right. Who wants to hear them? Right. But there's all these kind of complicated. And then like, and then like, uh, we're, taught to sort of commodify like creativity and stuff too yeah and like only do it if you're gonna like make money on right. it and then right. be the best at it but then like getting into all-time music has just been i've been i just every every day talk to someone who is just so 
just has this like very pure motivation to just do it to just do it yeah. <laughs> and like and to like listen to a recording or like go to a jam and it's like just so um yeah the motivation is like so pure yeah and even to the extent that yeah like you know you you're one of the people who feels who feels that and you don't even really know how to talk about it you know but it's like you know but you're like dredging up these like awesome awesome tunes you you maybe will make some money doing it but and and like maybe some people will appreciate it but it's like there's it's just so simple it's like yeah i just need to learn this mississippi sheiks tune yeah and then maybe every once in a while i'll just think about uh race relations in america (laughs) because that because it naturally comes out of it and I feel like that's such a like I don't know like the way that old time music makes people think is like just so upside down yeah from the way that everyone else thinks about music it's true I'm like what are those two notes what are those two notes yeah Yeah, and it's uh, I don't know like um, it's just so different from and it's funny like yeah even like my 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 grandparents sometimes, you know, if I like, whenever I would show an interest in, in something, even though they're like older than me and you would think that like their sort of values would be maybe like more, like more pure or something. Like if I like told a funny joke, they would be like, maybe you could like be a comedian. (laughs) Or if I like made some good bread, they're like, you should start a restaurant (laughs) or something. And I was just like, can we just have can we just have this? <laughs> and then I Can feel we just like have this moment. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I've been like looking for like this this sort of platonic ideal of like enjoyment for enjoyment's yeah. sake um, for so long, and I've yeah. been like mining in all these different areas, and then finally I find this group of just like super nerds, <laughs> you know, who are just like super nerds want to do this like incredibly unprofitable like yep. activity just for the sake of it. Yeah, and it's like I don't know. I just I feel so grateful. <laughs> grateful for it like yeah just like uh yeah it's so spiritually important to me just because like i finally found people who want to do something that's that there's no excuse to do yeah 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 that's a good point yeah i'd say funny because now that we're talking about it i'm realizing that a couple of the and you're asking about where where i found some of the tunes i think it two of them I think two of them, maybe three, but I think two were on a compilation of F tunes made by um, John Beckoff, who was yeah. an amazing um, fiddler who passed away. Um, but really, like, amazing person and fiddler who I was lucky to get to know a little bit. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Um, I only like, know him through that, like, times. through that series of videos on YouTube. It was, like, awesome. Like, yeah, with Nate. Yeah, with Nate. Yeah. Do you know him? Yeah, I know Nate. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, really, like, you know, and he's somebody, dropping my bow, he's somebody who um, I think really speaks to that spirit you're talking about, whereas he really just cared about the music, um, never really tried to figure out how to monetize it, um, yeah. or didn't want to, is what I mean, and, yeah. like, just put in so much work. Um, like making compilations, finding music, sharing it with people, always, always sharing it with people, um, which is how I happened to wind up with this hmm. 
compilation. Um, Thanks, John. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> yeah. They get brought up a fair amount on this show. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first tune I heard from John Dickoff was, is it called Lone Prairie? I don't know the it's tune. It's in like D minor and it kind of goes to F. It's like a really, it's a, it has like a, this very, very spooky um, harmony to it that I don't huh. hear in most old time I don't tunes. know the tune. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll send you a link to it. Yeah, please do. Yeah, it's on for 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 listeners who want to hear it. It's on Brian Slattery's uh, episode. He he's the one who introduced me to him, so it's a really cool. One. Yeah, I'll yeah. check it out. Him him and Nate playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What uh, what are we up to now? I think we're at, it's our last tune. This is the last tune. Thank you so much for uh, <laughs> staying up a little later than Four, you, right? you planned. <laughs> um, we did that one. We did that one. We did that one. We did that one. We did, we're going to do this She's one. She's pointing with her bow onto a little <laughs> notepad list. Just double checking. Uh, Ozark Waltz. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Thanks so much for being on the show. and uh, Thanks for doing this, Cameron. It was so enjoyable. Good. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me check my tuning one more time. Yeah. This is the Ozark Waltz. Leanna wants you to come to the West Philly Square Dance. The last dance of the season is May 12th, which is next Friday. Uh, if you're not going to go, the least you can do is babysit my son so I can go. 
Which reminds me, my wife is in India right now, and I'm kind of homestuck, so come play tunes with me, please. Leanna also wanted me to mention West Philly Porch Fest, which is June 3rd, noon to 7. Leanna's playing somewhere, I'm playing somewhere. I think former guest of the show Luke Chohani is trying to find a porch to play at, and I'm pretty sure Raina Geller and Kieran Kane are playing that evening. So come wander around West Philly on June 3rd if you're like me and can't make it to Mount Airy. If this episode was interesting to you, you should definitely check out Jake Blunt's episode about Black Fiddlers. He does a great job at tearing down some of the narratives about where this music is from and uh, who owns what. And he is an ethnomusicologist. And he's black. And Native American. And gay. (laughs) So you should listen to him. (laughs) He's working on some really cool stuff right now regarding uh, old-time fiddle music from Native American sources, which hopefully we'll get to feature on Get Up in the Cool at some point. No current plans to make a gay fiddlers episode, but uh, I'll, I'll keep you in the loop. If you want to support Get Up in the Cool, go to my website, CameronDeWitt.com, and click the Patreon button, or follow the link on Get Up in the Cool's Facebook posts, or in this episode's description on your uh, device. Once you're there, you can sign up to regularly support the show and get some exclusive rewards in return. If you sign up for the weekly bonus track, you'll get to hear Leanna and I play Seneca Square Dance, one of my very favorite tunes that she taught me years ago. Then uh, go listen to all the other bonus tracks from previous episodes. Thanks for listening, friends. Come back same time next week for more Get Up in the Cold.